Well, some days change everything, don't they? Uh, some days they change everything, they're good, uh, like the 9th of May, 1998. I don't know where you were, but I was getting married. Uh, that day changed everything for me. I mean, all of a sudden, I now have to put my dirty clothes in the laundry rather than on the floor. Uh, some days, though, that change things are bad, aren't they? Like the 22nd of August, 2004. Now, that's the day my mum rang me from the United States to tell me that my dad had suddenly died. You've probably got days like these in your life. But some days change things not just for you. Whole nations can be changed in a day. September 3, 1939, the day Britain and France declared war on Germany for the Second World War. Or more positively, January 1, 1901, Federation of Australia, six independent colonies becoming one Commonwealth. It was such a, a big occasion, a quarter of a million people gathered in Centennial Park to witness our constitution being proclaimed. Some days are big days for a whole people. That's what Haggai chapter 2 has. A day that changed everything for a whole people. It's a big day. It's a great day. And as good as it was back then for the Jews of Haggai's time, it's even better for us here today. Because what they received back then on this day was just a teaser for what God would do for us in the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ had a day and it changed everything for everyone, including little old you and me. So let's have a look. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. So there's the date of this great day. It's the 24th day of the ninth month. But before telling us why this day is so wonderful, God first reminds the people of the dim, dark past that's gone before this day so that they'll appreciate the greatness of this day all the more. So you know how you can really appreciate the splendor of the stars on a clear, dark night? Well, to appreciate the splendor of this great day, we're given the darkness of the days before. So from verse 11, God takes the people back, back to when they were fluffing around with his temple, happily building their own houses, but leaving God's house a ruin. And hopefully you can uh, remember from when we looked at chapter 1 two weeks ago that 18 years before Haggai, the Jews did have a go at rebuilding the temple. Their efforts, though, fizzled out quickly, but they did get the altar done. So they were able to make sacrifices, but the rest of the temple was a shambles. So it's a bit like a house where the front door is a statement in style but as soon as you walk through the entrance, you're stumbling over loose bricks. There's no flooring, so you're walking among the dirt. The Jews' attempt at rebuilding the temple was a little like that. They'd done the altar, but pretty much nothing else. So they were making sacrifices, but the people's attitude to God was one of contempt. And as far as God was concerned, that meant that their sacrifices were disgusting. They were defiling his altar 
the one thing of the temple that they'd actually built. Have a look, verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, wine, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Uh, Basically what God's pointing out to his people is this. Defilement is contagious, but consecration or holiness isn't. It's a little bit like how being sick is contagious, but being well isn't. Well, defiled things could infect consecrated things and make them defiled as well, but it didn't work the other way around. So when it came to the people making sacrifices on the consecrated altar, well, that was bad news for the Jews because they were defiled. Verse 14. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. The people were defiled, so they were making God's holy altar defiled. Now remember, God's reminding the people of what things were like back before, when they were flippant and casual and standoffish with God and his temple. They were defiled, and so God had come against them in judgment. Verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. And if you were here two weeks ago, you'll recognize these verses as pretty much a repeat of what we saw in chapter 1. God deliberately ruining their livelihoods to wake them up from their apathy towards him. That was back in the sixth month, we're told in chapter 1. But then God stirred them up in the sixth month. And we saw last week that in the seventh month, God promised that he was still with them. So why are they still under God's judgment? Because sadly, in Zechariah chapter 1, we're told that in the eighth month, the people returned to their wicked ways. And so God's judgment remained on them. But all of this was before the great day at the end of chapter 2. We've now seen the darkness of the days before, but now we come to the 24th day of the ninth month. And what was different about this day? It was the day when they finally laid the foundation of the temple. And now that God's temple was finally being built proper, God would immediately reverse his curse, lift his judgment and bless his people. Verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. With just the first sign of the new temple being built proper, God declares that he will 
bless them. He'll cleanse their defilement. He'll lift his judgment. We are seeing something of the determination of God here. Because remember, this temple that they were building, it wasn't even the real deal. The true new temple wouldn't come for another 500 odd years when Jesus Christ came. We thought about that last week. And so this temple building project of the Jews back then, it was just a shadow. It was just a preparation, just an anticipation of the real thing yet to come in the person of Jesus. But even with the foundation of the shadow being built, God declares with determination he will bless his people. It's a little bit like me playing Lego with my seven-year-old son, Alex. And we're, we're building a Lego car. And as Alex puts together just a pair of wheels, either end of a long piece of Lego, I then say to him, Alex, since you've built the base of this Lego car, from today, I'll organise to buy you a real car. <laughs> and I'll pay the insurance. <laughs> and the servicing and the petrol, and the tyres for the rest of your life. Just from building the base of a model Lego car. And I promise Alex the real thing along with everything else. As the Jews built the base of the model of God's true temple, he promises them the real thing along with everything else. He is absolutely determined to bless his people. And this is exactly what we see in the person of Christ, a dogged determination to bless his people. With steel, Jesus went to Jerusalem to die so that he could secure the forgiveness of sins. As Christ made his way to Jerusalem, all his friends thought he was mad. Everyone knew that all his enemies were in Jerusalem and they were waiting there to catch Jesus and put him to death. But Christ knew this was why he came. Because the only way sinners could be saved from the wrath of God, the only way sinners could be forgiven and cleansed of their sins, the only way sinners could be blessed by God was if he died in their place for them. And so with an iron will... And a fierce determination, though it cost him his life, Jesus would bless his people. He died for us to cleanse us. So if you're, if you're ever in doubt about God's forgiveness, if you think about your sins... And you question God's willingness to wipe you clean. If you look on your life and you conclude that God must surely be against you. There's no way he's really on your side, let alone forgiven you. If there's ever a reason you're not sure. Remember the fierce resolve of Christ. To willingly be executed for your sake. And know that in him. You are truly clean. But look back to Haggai. And it seems as if God couldn't contain himself. Uh, this red letter day would become even better. God wanted to pack 
even more in. And so he gave his word to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the ninth month because God wasn't just determined to bless his people, he was determined to restore his king as well because at the time God's king was also under God's judgment along with the people. Before the Babylonians came and tore Judah apart, Judah had her own king. But God promised through the prophet Jeremiah, what we read a little bit earlier, that when the Babylonians would come, that would be the end of the Jewish kings. God spoke of his kings in terms of them being a a signet ring on his hand, a symbol of power and ownership. They were God's signet ring and God was pulling them off and hurling them away. They'd be kings no more. But here at the end of Haggai, God says that he's putting his signet ring back on. He's going to restore his king. And when he does, oh, it'll be spectacular. Have a look. Verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. Now, two things to notice here, just quickly. First, that Zerubbabel is called the governor of Judah. Uh, Now, he is from the line of King David. Zerubbabel could be king of the Jews, but he isn't. Because at the time, the Persians ruled over them, and so the Persian king was their king. So Zerubbabel, he's only called governor. But secondly, we're told in this verse that God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Hopefully you can recall from last week, God's already said that he's going to do this and that when he does shake the heavens and the earth, it'll be the coming of his worldwide kingdom. That's what we saw at the beginning of chapter 2 and it's no different here at the end. Verse 22, I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall by the sword of his brother. When God shakes the heavens and the earth, all foreign kingdoms will shatter. Like a, like a hammer smashing a fine china plate, the foreign kingdoms will be no more. Only God's kingdom will remain. And on that day, verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you declares the Lord Almighty. On the day when God overthrows nations and sets up his kingdom overall, on that day, God will restore the king of the Jews, make him once more like his signet ring. When God establishes his worldwide rule, the king of the Jews will be there with him, side by side, ruling over the world. And did you notice that this will all happen by the sheer determination of God Almighty? Look again at how God says that all of this will happen. In verse 21, God says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overturn royal thrones. I will overthrow chariots. Verse 23, I will take you Zerubbabel. I will make you my signet ring. This is the Lord Almighty, the God of armies, declaring his unstoppable intention. He will restore the king of the Jews. He will make him the king over all the world. God will do it. And in fact, you and I know he has done it. The day that changed absolutely everything 
has come because God's king has arrived. You remember, don't you, the charge written on the cross of Christ? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And after rising from the dead, what did Christ say to his disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what do we see in the book of Revelation? Every creature in heaven and on earth singing to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. God's worldwide kingdom has begun. Of course it's begun. He said he'd do it. He's determined to do it. Nothing could stop him. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's enthroned as king. And there's coming a day, an unstoppable day, when every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God will do it. In 1912, Douglas Mawson and two others set off from base camp in Antarctica to explore the coastline. But after five weeks, one of the crew, plus six of their best dogs, their tent, and most of their food and spare clothing all fell down a crevice. Uh, The remaining sled only had rations for 10 days for the remaining two men, but nothing for the dogs. They were 500 kilometres from base camp, They wouldn't be considered overdue for more than a month, so there was no rescue party coming. The dogs became a food source, but that only lasted 10 days. Uh, Mawson's remaining friend, he got very sick, began to go insane, refused to go on. And so Mawson hauled him into the sled and dragged him in the snow for two days. But then his friend died. So Mawson trudged on towards base camp, The flesh on his feet was separating. He was physically exhausted when Mawson fell down a crevice. His sled got wedged at the top, leaving him dangling by the rope that was attaching him to his sled. He struggled to pull himself out, reached the top of the crevice, fell back in. He was delirious, exhausted. He wanted to die. But with remarkable determination, he tried again. Eventually, got himself out and he trudged on, trying to make his way back to base camp. But to make things worse, as if they could be, his ship, the Aurora, had to leave before he got back to camp because the sea ice was coming close. Six men, though, stayed behind in the vain hope that Mawson and his crew might survive. And when Mawson eventually reached base camp, his incredibly thin body and his skin loss made him unrecognisable. When one of his colleagues saw him, he exclaimed, Which one are you? (laughs) On all accounts, Mawson should have died, but there he was, alive. His determination to survive was remarkable. And as, as incredible as Mawson's determination was... God's determination to see his people blessed and his king restored. God's determination is matchless. Mawson overcame the harsh Antarctic conditions for several months. God's overcome entire nations that have plotted against him and his people for centuries. The Roman Empire tried to squash Jesus like an ant. 2,000 years later in our own Western culture, 
It would love to see Jesus just to become a forgotten blip on the radar of history. And yet, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's Lord of all right now. Every day, thousands of people from all over the world become Christians and God will send his son once more to bring this whole creation to an end and bring in his new creation to enjoy with his people. God will do it. Which means that as his people, as followers of Christ, we're in the right place, on the right team, so to speak. We're the people of the Lord Almighty, the determined and unstoppable one true God of all. And so every moment of our lives, we live in the service of Christ our King. It's our privilege to honour him, to please him. Because the truth is, he's not just our king, he's the king. And because of him, we're the forgiven children of the Lord Almighty. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that nothing could stop your son from making his way to Jerusalem, that we might be forgiven and safe with you, made even into your very children. Thank you that the day of his return is unstoppable. Thank you for your certain promise. He will come back. He will take us home. He will make a new creation. And Father, as we wait, we pray that you would remind us daily that we live in the service of the one true king of all the world. So that, Father, it would be our, our, our delight to trust and obey him with all that we have, waiting patiently for him to come and take us home. Amen.